Thank you very much, Michael, for praying for us. Good evening, everyone. It is uh, great to be back in the Book of Acts uh, again this evening. Um, Please do open up, back up. We're picking up as uh, Ruth was reading in verse 12 um, of Acts chapter 1. As we um, begin this evening, I want uh, you to think of the most inspiring movie that you've ever seen. There are, there are plenty of good ones out there, aren't there? Uh, personally, I love a, a real inspirational sports movie. I don't know if anybody's out there seen Blindside. I could watch that on repeat. Or uh, one, we, one that Heather and I watched for the last time last night, American Underdog. It's worth, worth the $4.99 or whatever to rent on Amazon Prime. There is, uh, there's something, isn't there, in how stories are told that can get under our skin. As we, as we see people and things happening, they make us want to be like them, to be better people, or to chase that dream that we've always wanted to chase. And I think this evening, in our passage, we see something like this kind of inspirational movie. It's as if we now get here, in this passage, a zoomed-in, focused-in movie of what happened immediately after Christ's ascension. As his followers now set out to faithfully follow Christ in what is really the beginning of the rest of their lives, as they serve their risen Lord. And in Luke's recounting here, I think we're going to see three things that should inspire us this evening, as we seek to follow after these first followers of Christ 2,000 years later. First off, we're going to see and that we can be inspired by the faithful community as they gather together. And we see three simple things that they do. Then we're going to see the inspiration of a faithful individual as he's contrasted with an unfaithful one. And then finally, in the background of all of this, we can see and be inspired by the reminder that as these disciples and as we today serve our God, he is a faithful God. He is a God who will accomplish his purposes, even in in places and in areas where it seems like he is not at work. He is. So uh, with that in mind, let's get straight into verses 12 to 14 here. And see, first off, see and be inspired by the faithful community. And we're going to see three simple but significant things that this community does together. Last week, we left off, if you were with us, with the disciples gazing into heaven, didn't we? After Christ's ascension. And the two angels, right, come and speak with them. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's how we left it. And this week we pick straight up now with the disciples responding to these words as they stop their standing and staring and head back to Jerusalem. Let's read verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now, at first glance, I grant you, there is nothing too inspiring about this verse, maybe. It's just a simple recounting of the disciples making what would have probably been about a quarter of an hour's journey back to Jerusalem. But in this, I think we do see 
the first thing, the first inspiring thing that a faithful community involves, and that is faithfully obeying. Faithfully obeying Christ. See, we saw back in verse 4 last week, didn't we, that Jesus had ordered the disciples, he's commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what we see them doing here in verse 12, isn't it? I guess it could have been tempting for for the disciples to have done many things after Jesus' ascension including maybe immediately trying to respond to Jesus' commissioning that we read last week, to go and be witnesses. And we aren't told what conversations the disciples might have had. It would be a fascinating thing to have heard those, wouldn't it? But what we do see here is their clear commitment that they will take Jesus' words to heart and do what he asks them. And so first of all, they return to Jerusalem and they wait just as Christ commanded them. Now, in many ways, this is a very simple thing, isn't it? But the disciples' example of obedience should inspire us too. As we gather as a community of believers today, our God and our Lord Jesus has given us many good and profitable instructions for us too, to live by and to obey through his word. And so just as the disciples Here, listen to Jesus' instructions and follow, so should we. In God's grace, he hasn't left us to live aimless lives. He has given us direction and purpose and things to do. So I want to just start by encouraging us this evening to see this simple response of the disciples in verse 12 and for us then to do likewise. As we meet together each week, our God is speaking with us. And he often has clear instructions for us. Are we, as a church, taking those instructions seriously? And are we taking those instructions seriously as individuals amongst that community? Are we allowing God's word to shape us and direct us in our lives and in our priorities? Those of us, particularly who are elders, who have some form of leadership here, Is that a priority for us? To obey Christ and do as he says first and foremost as we seek to be faithful under-shepherds of the God's flock here at Great Vic. Are we listening to the shepherd? And of course, that's true for all of us. So let me ask you this evening, is obedience to Christ a priority for you in your life? Let's see the disciples' example here. It's simple, isn't it? But it's inspiring. They get up and do it. Unwaveringly, they obey the Lord Jesus Christ and his commands for them. So we see in verse 12 an example of the faithful community who faithfully obey. And now, as we turn to verses 13 and 14, we're going to see two more things, two more inspiring close-ups of this early Christian community. And first off, we're going to see that this community forms a new family in the faith. Let's look at verses 13 to 14 again, and notice this togetherness that we see here in these verses. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, 
James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In this movie, in this close-up, isn't this a beautiful image just to stop and look at? I hope this is an encouragement to you as you picture what is going on here. I think that's what we're meant to do. Picture this. Here are the disciples, those closest to Jesus during his life and ministry. They're gathering together. But it's not just the disciples, is it? They're now also gathering along with many women and Jesus' own family, his mother and his brothers. In fact, in verse 15, we read that there are around 120 people who are gathering like this. And what we see here in what Luke is showing us is that whoever you are, male or female, disciple, one of the 12 apostles or not, a member of Jesus' biological family or not, if you are a disciple and follower of Christ, you are now part of a new family. We see this just simply in the inspiring imagery, don't we, of them all gathering together with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. There's this real sense of unity, isn't there? But we also see this this new family in, in other subtle ways, I think, in the text here. First off, just look with me again at the the names that begin that list in verse 13. The first four names. Do you notice anything slightly strange about the order? Peter and John. James and Andrew. Here, unlike Luke's list back in his gospel in chapter 6, the disciples aren't named together based on biologically on their human family. Peter, back then, was named with Andrew, his brother, and James with John. But no, instead, what we see here, this glimpse here, there is a new brotherhood, a new family, something that unites and bonds even more than being born into the same human family. And that thing that unites and bonds is being born into the same spiritual family. And then notice also how Peter begins his speech down in verse 16. He says, brothers, a word that in this form can mean brothers and sisters. And the point is this, here here are these 120 people gathering together from all over, and they are a new family in the faith, as they then together seek to faithfully follow Christ. Now, I don't don't know how many there are here this evening. Maybe there's 60, 70 of us, perhaps. Sure, and none of us here are the 12 apostles. There's a slight difference, but I want us to see the image of those gathering in these verses, and I want us to likewise be inspired to think similarly as we gather. If you are a follower of Christ this evening, if you are trusting in him, in this room, all around you, you are right now surrounded by family. Isn't that an incredible thought? Male or female, born and raised in Belfast or born and raised right across the other side of the world, young or old, whoever you are, this evening, if you are in Christ, you are united together with others here in this room. 
We are united by our faith in Christ. We are God's family. And be encouraged because that means, as we've already said, you don't need to do this all on your own. You are part of a community. You're meant, we're meant to meet together as Christians, to be encouraged, to be supported, to be helped. And then we can seek to do that for others too. We don't know the specific situations of every one of those 120 people who were there gathering. There must have been a variety of emotions, of backgrounds that they were coming from. There must have been lots of different topics of discussion. And so it is for us today too. We come with a variety of different personal circumstances. But we come and we gather together and we are united in Christ. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. So let me just encourage you tonight. Do all that you can to invest in brothers and sisters in Christ. And to be part of a community that together puts Christ first. Keep coming to church. Keep going out for coffee with Christian friends. Keep getting involved in small groups. If you aren't a part of one and would love to, as Steve mentioned, do come and have a chat. It's a great way of getting to know people, getting alongside them, doing life together. Keep being open and honest with others about your life and allow them then to encourage and help you as you then also can be an encouragement and help to them as well. This is one of the great blessings that we find in Christ. We have a new family in the faith. So let's seek in whatever way we can to keep living that out more and more in our lives. Allow that to encourage us and help us. So that's the the first two things we see in these three verses here, of this faithful community. And now we're going to see this third aspect, this third aspect of the inspiring example here of this community. And this is one that we've already touched on, is that they faithfully pray. This is verse 14 here. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. As this new family in the faith gathered, their their gathering wasn't aimless, but instead it was incredibly, inspiringly purposeful as they sought the Lord together. Now, we aren't told what they are praying with one accord for, aren't we? But it wouldn't be hard to imagine. They perhaps praying for the promised Holy Spirit to come, as Jesus has has said. Praying maybe for God to give them all that they would need to faithfully fulfill that commission to take the gospel out. A prayer for direction in that. And then we see later as well, don't we, them praying for guidance in who should lead the community and what that should look like. Now today, we maybe will pray for other things as well. If we are in Christ, we we no longer need to pray to receive the Holy Spirit. He has been given to us. And we no longer need to pray for guidance in the appointing of a 12th apostle, as we see the disciples doing later on. But prayer like it's modeled here in these verses has to remain central for us as a community of believers. In this verse, we see a beautiful scene set out of a community of believers who in everything are showing complete and utter reliance and trust in God. 
with one accord, they're seeking his guidance. They're seeking his help, seeking his direction, and asking him to fulfill his purposes in the world. And that's how it should be for us as well. Individually devoting ourselves to prayer, but also corporately. As we're modeled here, we gather together as a church and pray. That's why we do every other Wednesday, we gather to pray all together. And that's why in small groups, we want to make prayer a priority there too. And that's why we pray as we gather on Sundays and several times in the services. We want to seek the Lord. We want to praise him. We want to ask things of him. We want to thank him. We simply cannot do anything apart from the Lord's enabling us and apart from his hand of blessing. And so we want to seek the Lord's. And remember and be encouraged that as we do this, we are seeking, we are presenting our requests to a God who is seated on the throne. A God who can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. That is who we are speaking to when we pray together like that. And just on this, there's also, I think there's something very powerful, isn't there, of praying together with people as we see these early disciples doing. Not only is it, of course, true that as we pray, ultimately we pray because we pray that God would hear our prayers and respond to them according to his will. But there's also this incredible benefit that as we pray with others, as we unite our hearts and our minds and ourselves together, we are built up and encouraged in our own faith. So often I leave a prayer meeting feeling built up, feeling strengthened, as I remember the togetherness that I have with so many others in the gospel, as I then go on into whatever the rest of my week holds. There's this unity, incredible unity and strength that comes in uniting together in prayer and seeking that God's name would be glorified and his kingdom would grow. If you're not in the habit of praying with others, whether in church or or in other ways, let me encourage you this evening, find ways in your life to do that. If you can, keep your Wednesday evening free and come down and, and pray together with other believers here. Talk to a friend and find a regular time that you can have coffee with them, share life, and then pray for each other. I promise you that making prayer with others a priority in your life will never be something that you regret. And just on this, can I share one more example of this praying with one accord? See, there's a very simple thing that we can be doing, each of us, to show this one accord when we pray together. To show that we do that as one. And that is by each and every one of us saying an amen. Someone finishes praying, we say, amen. Amen. It seems like this isn't really done audibly in the culture here, and I I don't know why, because it is such an encouragement. It is a great way of saying to the person and saying along with the person, yes, I am asking those same things of the Lord. We are united in Christ, and we are presenting our requests to him. Can I just encourage you, when others are praying, say amen. It is a great example of praying with one accord, saying, yes, Lord, we are seeking you together.
as a faithful community. Right, so, so far in verses 12 and 14, we've seen this zoomed in close up of this faithful community of believers who faithfully obeyed, formed this new family, and faithfully prayed. And in the rest of the time now, we're going to look, look at verses 15 to 26, and we're going to see maybe a slightly different angle now of this inspiration and encouragement for us in our Christian lives as Luke shifts our focus onto two particular individuals. And I think from this, we'll be helped and inspired to seek to be faithful individuals within the community, continuing to profess Christ to the very end. And we're going to see this through this contrast, the contrast of an unfaithful follower and a faithful one. In verse 15, which we've already glanced down at, Peter stands up, doesn't he? And he speaks to those gathered in this upper room. And in in verse 16, we hear what he says. He says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Judas was already noticeably missing in that list, if you look back to verse 13. And now Peter focuses in on him. And as he does that, Luke then seems to put this little aside in, in verses 18 to 19. Seems to be this aside because you see the translation there, akaldama, that is field of blood. Peter wouldn't have had to have explained that. It seems to be Luke's extra addition. And we see in these two verses that Luke seems to purposefully, shockingly, lay out the repercussions of Judas's betrayal for Judas himself. And as I've been thinking about that this past week, I've been trying to get my head around, why... Why would Luke add this in here? Why would would he put in this description of Judas' death? And I think as I've been thinking about that, it seems that as if in some ways this is meant to be a warning for us. A warning that says, listen, this man, Judas, he was one of Jesus' closest followers. He was numbered among the chosen 12. He was given a share in Jesus' ministry, and yet he ended up betraying him. The warning here is this, do not be an unfaithful follower like Judas who ultimately betrays Christ and faced judgment as a result because that judgment that you face is going to be severe. Read with me these verses in 18 to 19 and we'll see this. Now this man, that is Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. Judas seemed as if he was a follower of Christ, but ended up betraying him. He cast Jesus aside because he preferred the pleasures of money, over Christ and the kingdom of God. And because of that, we see here that he faced God's wrath and judgment. The gruesome description, it's pretty gruesome, isn't it? The gruesome description of his death, I think, shows this. 
We read in Matthew's gospel that Judas takes his own life. But here it's made clear that as he dies, there is this judgment on him. Right? Luke writes, he falls headlong. He bursts open in the middle of the field, his bowels gushing out. This is no normal death. Judas' actions in betraying Christ led to God's crushing judgment falling on him. And this judgment we see there in verse 19, don't we, then becomes known all around Jerusalem. It is an example, isn't it? As Judas's spilt blood points to his guilt, his implication in handing over the Son of God to be killed. Now, as we read this about Judas, as I said, I think this, this is sobering for us. This graphic description of Judas' death is screaming out to us, do not be like this. The unfaithful believer, the unfaithful individual who betrays Christ. The consequences are too severe to even be thought about. Remember, as we hear this, Judas was one of Jesus' closest and trusted followers here on earth. So as we hear this, we soberly need to think this evening, this kind of action, turning aside from Christ and betraying him, it is not beyond any of us. See, the things of this world, they they keep popping up, don't they? Wherever we look, they bombard us, and they promise us so much. And yet the truth is, they deliver so little. And the price paid for seeking after those things instead of Christ, it is so great. Given that, let's this evening see Judas's example of being lured away by the love of money and take stock of our own hearts, our own lives. What is it that when we look at our own lives, we see a, a love for, perhaps, that could eventually lead us away from a love for Christ? As Steve was saying a few weeks ago, as we looked at the book of Colossians, we need to be killing sin or it will be killing us. And Judas's example here warns us that we need to take that seriously. Judas seemed to be a follower of Christ, but eventually turned his back on him for other things. Let's each of us this evening ask for God's help, his grace, that we would not do likewise but that God would hold us fast to him to the end, as he promises that he will do for those who are truly his. Now, to help us with this, this inspiring, that's not been inspiring, I I think here we now need to see the positive contrast. We've seen the warning, but we see in some ways that Judas' actions there now serve as a foil for another person. Where Judas betrayed Christ, that doesn't have to be the case for us. And so here we see a second person who can inspire us and encourage us to be faithful individuals who continue to profess Christ to the end. In fact, we see in verse 23, two faithful people introduced to us, Joseph and Matthias. And we find out from the context here that both of them have been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. Verse 22, we see they've been with him from the baptism of John right the way through to his ascension. Just like Judas, they followed Christ right the way through his life. But now we see a difference. 
We see that unlike Judas, they today, in this moment, are continually, uh, continuing to faithfully follow Christ. And so they're put forward here, aren't they, as two people who could take Judas's place as one of the 12 apostles. Ultimately, it's then Matthias who the lot falls on, and he's chosen. And the fascinating thing here for me is that actually, this is the last time we read about Matthias in this book. Perhaps you'd be set up, wouldn't you, to think he's going to be a big character. So maybe you're wondering, why have you picked him out as an inspiration, as someone to follow? Well, I think perhaps he actually is. We don't hear anything else about him, but as he takes Judas's place, we know what he's being called to, don't we? If you look back to verse 22. Here's what Matthias has been called to be, a witness to Christ's resurrection. Now, there's no doubt that Matthias does have a unique role in being an eyewitness to this resurrection. As an eyewitness, he could testify that it actually happened, and he could give credibility to Christ's resurrection. And that was part of the unique role that the 12 apostles had going forward, and we'll continue to see that through the book. But like we said last week, the general call here to witness to Christ, to his resurrection, and to his saving work, is one that we all take up as Christians. I wonder what Matthias's life looked like going forward. We know what it was given over to, though, don't we? Professing Christ. Witnessing to Christ. Speaking about Christ to others. And in some ways, the silence there surrounding him, well, it maybe helps us and gives us some room to imagine, doesn't it? I wonder, as you think about Matthias, I wonder where he went. I wonder who he spoke to about Christ. You'd love to know, wouldn't you? As he went out and fulfilled this calling. But in the same way, then, we can also look ahead for ourselves. Whether you are young or old here this evening, we have been called to do similarly to Matthias in the rest of our lives, however many days the Lord gives us from now. I wonder where you're going to go. I wonder where you're going to go here in Northern Ireland. I wonder where you're going to go even beyond Northern Ireland. And I wonder who God is going to put in your life. Who are you going to speak to tomorrow, next week? Who are you going to be speaking to in 10 years' time? We can't be sure, can we, about any of those things. But let's see Matthias' example and be ready to no matter who we are speaking with, no matter where we are, be ready to witness to Christ. Speak of his life, speak of his death, speak of his resurrection, and speak of the salvation that we have found in his name and that those people that we are speaking with can find too. And let's continue to go on doing that until the day that we go to be with our Lord and Savior in glory professing Christ with our lips. And you know, on that day, we will continue to have the name of Christ on our lips as we give him all glory and praise, all that he is due. So in Matthias, I think we're meant to see an inspiring example. 
of an individual who follows Christ. Like him, let's go on professing Christ to the end. But then, to close, uh, here is this one final thing from these verses that's running right the way through the background of this, this scene as we've, we've had it here. And there's this inspiration now that as we go on serving Christ, professing him, seeking to be faithful to him, we can remember that we serve a faithful God. A faithful God who is still at work, even in something like Judas's betrayal of Christ, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Remember, we saw last week, didn't we, that Luke is writing to Theophilus to give certainty concerning the things he has been taught. And here, he continues to do that by showing that even something as terrible as Judas's betrayal was not outside of God's plan. Notice how Peter began his speech back in verse 16. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled concerning Judas. And then he goes on, doesn't he, after that little aside in verse 20, to point to two Psalms that, as they pointed to Christ and his suffering, also spoke of his enemies. And specifically then about Judas. The first Psalm there speaks of the judgment that falls on Judas. Judgment that we've already considered, that his camp would become desolate, that no one would follow after him. And then the second speaks of someone else taking on this position of responsibility. And in this way, Peter makes it clear to those he is speaking with then, and he's making it clear to us today, that we shouldn't in any way view what happened with Judas like something went wrong in God's plan. No, you see, this was always the way that Jesus was going to die. With one of his closest followers betraying him. But all things surrounding Christ's death were worked out according to God's sovereign plan. A plan that then would lead that through Christ's death, he could bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, when God makes a promise, which he does time and time again in the Old Testament, that his salvation would reach to the end of the earth, we can be 100% certain that he will do everything necessary to bring that promise to fruition. And that's what he did. And then on top of this, we see in the later appointing of Matthias that same faithful God continuing to be at work, even beyond Christ's death. Because in Matthias's sovereign appointment as the 12th apostle, we see that God is still at work to bring not just some subsection of his chosen people to himself, as 11 out of the original 12 continue to faithfully follow him. No, instead, just as there were 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament that made up the fullness of God's people, so now there are again the 12 apostles. 12 apostles who again represent the fullness, the entirety of God's people. And as we've just seen, the 12 that are there are the exact 12 that God had planned, had foreordained. Matthias replacing Judas was no plan B. God always knew that was going to happen, and we see that so clearly in these verses. 
So, given that, Luke says to Theophilus here, and he says to us today, be reassured, be encouraged. It might seem like from a human perspective, things got a bit messy here. Even that things went a bit wrong. But that just isn't the case. Our God is a faithful God, and he is at work. He has been working out, and he has been accomplishing his purposes through all that has happened. And remembering that should inspire us. As we seek to be a faithful community together, and as we seek to be faithful individuals, we do that remembering that we serve a faithful God. Just as God had a plan then to appoint these 12 apostles to be the first witnesses, eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection, and to take the good news of Christ out, so he has a plan for each and every one of us today too. Likewise, to be witnesses to Christ, to be glorified through us and in us. As we then today, in some ways, step into that story, like we often do at the end of a movie, don't we? We read ourselves into it. Well, here I think we beautifully can step into this story. We step into this story that was just beginning of the disciples going out and faithfully following Christ. We can step into it with boldness and with confidence, knowing that God is still accomplishing his purposes through us, through his people today. So let's step out in faith this week, knowing that our faithful God goes with us every step of the way. And let's seek to be faithful to him with all of our lives. Faithful right to the very end with Christ's name always in our hearts and on our lips as we serve him. Let's pray together as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this example that we see here in these verses of what it is to be a faithful community, to be faithful individuals. Lord, as we've been thinking about these verses, there's many things for us to to take away, to consider as we go into our week. Lord, help us to be those who do obey you. Help us to enjoy the benefits of being part of a family. Lord, help us to, in everything, be seeking you in prayer and to join together with others. Lord, we thank you for the example, the warning that we see here of Judas, but also the example of Matthias as he sets out to fulfill what has been called, what he's been commanded to do, to witness to Christ. Lord, help us to likewise be witnesses to Christ, to share the good news that we have in him. And Lord, as we go on into the rest of our weeks, Lord, we thank and praise you that we serve you a faithful God who will fulfill all of your promises for us. Lord, we rejoice in that. We ask that you would help us and strengthen us and help us to remain faithful to you this week and to the very end of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, we're going to uh, sing as we close. We're going to stand and sing this uh, song, O Church, Arise. That's what we are, a church together. Let's arise and put our armor on. Let's stand and sing as the musicians play. to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.